Romans 1 verses 18 through 32 provides a stunning social analysis of the expression of sin as it made its way through the Roman world of Paul's day. It's not unlike what we're seeing in our world today, and there's a reason for this which we'll discuss in a moment. Folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. So what's wrong with the world? How did the world go so wrong? Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, gives us the central answer in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. And if we pay attention, he also gives us, in these same verses, the way back from moral and spiritual decline. This is what we'll be discussing in the next number of broadcasts. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image, an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one for another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. But we should understand as Paul is setting forward the gospel, the good news to us, but now in order to bring the whole argument of the gospel to us, he has to bring it against the backdrop of the ugliness of sin. And his first view of sin that he gives us here is in a sense a picture of the state of society that the people were living in that time. Verses 18 through 32 is quite an accurate description of the moral state in which 
the world was as Paul is writing the people in Rome. He's describing something of the conduct and the behavior and the moral status that is in Rome in that hour and that day. Anyone who was reading it and listening to it would shake their heads and say, "Uh uh-huh, we're seeing this, we're observing these things, and yet as we read it, we also see that it's it's a rather accurate description of the moral state of the world in which we're living in as well. It's a picture of the social affairs of our hour and our day and this kind of state of the social and moral life of the communities has cycled through human society ever since the dawn of civilization. There have been times in which the moral condition has been not so bad. It's been on the upswing. And then there are other times when the moral condition seems to be in a downright plummet. And today this cycle of moral corruption seems to be mixing more and more broadly and more and more deeply throughout all of our known world. Throughout history, there's always been corruption in various societies, among various peoples, to varying degrees, in varying places, at various times. But the Bible seems to indicate in the last days, the corruption will be like a cloud or fog that extends all over the earth. It's in every place and every point and at all times. And it's quite universal. And this this seems to be, at least to our minds where our world is heading today. So it's not surprising that many individuals, including myself, are asking, is this the last hour? Is this the time when the Lord Jesus will return? But one of the questions we have to be asking is, how did we get to this point? How do we come about to this moment in time? And why is these expressions of moral decay taking shape in our society and also taking shape in our world? And if we knew the answer to that question, it may be that we'd be wise in seeking God and applying responses to our circumstance and situation that would even help find our way out of the mess that we're in, the moral mess that we're in. At least we might know better how to pray and how to intercede for the generation in which we live in. We might know how best to answer those who are around us who are also seeing these things and are ruining the collapse of the society that they had once known and enjoyed. So we're going to look at verse 18 in particular, but also verse 21 to see and consider what the answer is. What we first want to understand is what it is that it means to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, at least in part. And we're also going to consider verses 21 and 22 of Romans. Actually, let me read that to you again. There it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There's a picture, there's an image of this suppression of the truth. And so the question is, how do we get to this place of moral decay throughout society? And the first answer is basically this, and I'm going to give you three suggestions of how we get there, three regressions or points at which we descend further and further into moral decay and the first one is simply this number one there's a departure into moral darkness that begins by walking away from the light of God so the first step or first point of departure into a place of moral darkness in our societies and in your life personally is that you walk away from the light of God it's the first step into spiritual and moral decay is a step away from God in first John chapter 1 verse 5 John is going to talk about in that very first chapter this revelation of the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. But in the presence of the revelation of Jesus Christ, John will very quickly pivot to a revelation of our own sinfulness 
and our sins. Even the nature that humans have to deny that they're sinners and deny they have any sin. And John says that you can't hold to that argument if you come into the light of who God is. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle tells us, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And by stating that, John is wanting us to understand that God is a God of absolute moral purity. God is a God of absolute moral perfection. He's a God of utter and complete, concentrated holiness. And in saying this, he's making it known to us that God himself, when he comes into our reality and when he comes before us, and when we stand before him, the effect of that is that God reveals to us what is good and right and what is pure and what is true and what is righteous and as a result, he also reveals to us what is not good and what is not right and what is not pure, what is not true and what is not righteous. He shows to us our sins. The Lord Jesus spoke about the impact of the divine light as it comes upon individuals in John chapter 3. Just very shortly after John 3.16 that we all have memorized as children, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 19 and 20, the Lord Jesus says this, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light it does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed the light that men reject ultimately is God they turn from him they don't want to be subject to his presence they reject God because God's presence and the manifestation of God's presence exposes them to their sins. It exposes their evil passions. Really, this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Most of us know the desire at some point in time in our life to avoid persons who show us our sins and our faults. We don't like to be around them. We don't want to think about those things. We'd like to put out of our minds. And so, in the same way, a human being will avoid God, steer clear of him. The spiritual and moral condition of our age starts with an individual's and with humanity's flight from the light, with humanity's run away from the presence of God. Although they knew God, Paul says in verse 21 here, they didn't glorify God as God. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. What Paul is saying is that at the starting point, individuals and human society begins with a knowledge of God. They have some understanding of God. It tells us that deep down, embedded in the conscience of every individual who is born into this world, they're born with, you might say, a sensitivity or a recognition that God is and that God is presence and that God provides and that God creates and God blesses and it, it resides within them and that the nature of the individual as well as society, because society is just a conglomerate of individuals, is to suppress that knowledge. They even codify that suppression of that knowledge because it begins to reveal their own sin. When we're sharing the gospel with individuals, one of the questions we like to ask them is, do you believe in God? And Most of the time, actually, people will say yes. And then you might ask them, well, what do you believe God is like? And 
Very often they'll give you some answer that is so mystical, it's almost beyond conception what they're saying. It's some foggy, ethereal image or picture of some distant God who floats the air like some energy or some current or is moving throughout all of nature and there's no point to it, there's no beginning and end to it, there's no lesson to learn from it, it's just something that we all somehow indefinitively all kind of reside in and you know when they say things like that, the question you ask them is this, because what they've done is their lives have, <laughs> their lives have accumulated a series of compromises, moral compromises usually, in which it's become necessary for them to develop some image of God that they can be comfortable around, that somehow will afford them to continue in the pathway they're following or live with themselves. But then you ask them this question, well, let me ask you, when you were a little child, what were your first concepts of God? What were the first things that you thought God might be like? Well, then all of a sudden come out these answers that are very elementary. They're actually quite truthful. Oh, well, he was watching over me, and he heard my prayers, and he protected me, and he had made me and created me. And well, Those are the elementary expressions of God to the heart of man that man suppresses. The more he falls into sin, the more he has to develop some profuse or some uh, diluted picture or image of God, but here's what Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us that at the beginning, what is true of the individual is also true of the human race. The man began with the knowledge of God. Remember, Adam and Eve knew God. They knew God as the source of their blessing. They knew God as the one who was their creator and the provider and their blesser, and they walked with God in the garden. But as they turned their face to pursue their own self-will and their own designs and their own sin, they had to turn away from God. They had to even hide from Him and run from Him. What Adam and Eve did in the garden is what all mankind has done. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.